0: Listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Thank you, Peter and Joyce, for leading us in that time of worship that continues now as we read God's Word from Ruth chapter 2. I'll read the first 12 verses. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. <clears throat> From beginning to end, the Bible is the story of, of grace that comes to fruition in Jesus Christ as unfolded in the Greek New Testament. But the Hebrew Old Testament introduces us to this God of grace and is filled with examples and illustrations and prophecies of how it all comes together in Jesus Christ. And a beautiful example is this dramatic love story told in four acts, almost like a screenplay ready for filming called the book of Ruth. I saw a 1960 version of the book of Ruth about 15 years ago. It needs refreshing. So if one of you can pull that off, that would be good. Pastor Jeff opened the series last Sunday with Acts 1. It begins when the days of, when the judges ruled. Now, what, when was that? Well, that's between, if you know your Old Testament history timeline, this will help if not Read the Old Testament and see if you can pick that up. But from the end of the book of Joshua up to the end of the career of Samuel, or I guess near the end when he appointed, anointed Saul as the king, that was the time of when the judges ruled, a time... Described in the last verse of the previous book, in those days there was no king of Israel, that is, no leadership that was consistent. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was a time of anarchy and instability for 350 years. And now here, this family, we don't know what part of that time they were in, or who was the judge or trying to rule at the time, But this family in Bethlehem of Judea, just six miles south of Jerusalem, uh, his name was Elimelech, which means my God is king. Her name was Naomi, which means pleasant one or lovely. And they were hungry. They left with their two sons and left Bethlehem, the house of bread, because there was no bread. And they went to Moab about 50 miles. They'd have to come north. Most likely they would have come north, gone around the north side of the Dead Sea and down on the east side of the Dead Sea through Ammon to the land of Moab where there was reports of food. We don't know how long they were there, perhaps 10 to 15 years is one estimate. Long enough for their two sons to take on Moabite wives, Orpah and Ruth. All three men, Elimelech, Malon, and Kileon, died in the land of Moab, leaving three widows in a horrible situation. No means of provision. The only hope at the end of this period of time is that there's news that the famine back in Bethlehem is over. So Naomi made plans to go back home, told her daughters-in-law, just using rational logic to go back to their families in Moab, find new husbands, God will provide for you hopefully, and and in fact, she even said, go back to your gods, Uh, have to wrestle with that a bit, and Orpah, by the way, that's Oprah Winfrey's birth certificate name, Orpah, but they got it mixed up, and so she's gone by Oprah ever since. But Orpah eventually agreed. It was the wiser plan. What chance would they have in Israel? They'd be despised there. They'd have no hope there. And so she finally goes back to her family, but Ruth steadfastly refused and gives us the most famous lines of the book. Uh, And here's a rare case where I, I just have to go a little Shakespearean on you and quote from the King James Version of this as she says to her Her mother-in-law, she says, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death, part thee and me. That is devotion. Powerful words, and it is a definitive religious conversion. Your God will be my God. Ruth has embraced Yahweh, casting her lot with the God and people of Israel. So the two women walked the 50 miles back to Bethlehem. But as Pastor Jeff noted, and is where we ended last week, Naomi has embraced her loss with a sense of hopelessness and bitterness. She's not a happy woman, and you understand as you look at her story. When she's greeted by old friends in Bethlehem, is this Naomi, a nice friendly greeting? And she rushes up all happy and excited? No. She says, don't call me Naomi, pleasant or lovely. Call me Mara, bitter. For the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi comes home after several years away, a widow with nothing to support except another widow, making a double problem. No means of support. And the proverbial horse on the table is Naomi the Moabite. You remember who the Moabites were? They came from the incestuous relationship between Abraham's difficult nephew, we might call him Lot, and his daughters when they fled Sodom. Remember Mom looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. And they went on and they got their father drunk, conceived by their own father, and gave birth to Moab and Ammon by their own father. You remember the old song, I am my own grandpa? It's not quite that convoluted. On another level, it's a lot messier. Lot was both grandpa and dad to Ammon and Moab. And that is Ruth's heritage. And then further, this, that's in Genesis. Then you get to Deuteronomy. Uh, here's what the law says about Moabites. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. Now that curse, the story of Balaam is fascinating, you know, the talking donkey and everything. Uh, The curse failed initially and, and, and was turned to blessing But later, it succeeded. As Balaam's advice to the Moabites, there's a better way to get to these guys. Have your girls go seduce them into pagan worship and sexual liaisons. And Revelation 2.14, at the end of the Bible, tells us that's what happened with Balaam's counsel. And so that's Ruth's baggage with her Moabite Heritage. So the curtain closes on act one in great bitterness and with major problems, two widows, a despised Moabite, no means of support, no children to carry on the family, no reasonable hope of future husbands and children. And Naomi blames God for her calamity. The curtain is closed. Story over goodbye, but not quite. The curtain opens on act two with just a glimmer of light from the last words of verse one. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Chapter 1 covers perhaps 10 to 15 years. That's a guess. Chapter 2 is more definitive. It covers about six to seven weeks in late spring, early summer from the feast of the Passover, which shortly after that would be about the time the barley harvest would begin, and then after that the wheat harvest, leading up to Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, or the first fruits that celebrated the early harvest. So it's all the time between Passover and the uh, Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost. So my heading for Act 2 is Evidences of God's Providential Care. And the first hint of God's care is that with the barley harvest, there's at least some food to be had in the land. Maybe. They would be able to get some. But how? They had no fields to harvest. They had no money to buy food. Uh, Naomi, we find later, had land. that was her husband's land, but it wasn't anything she could do with it. It hadn't been planted. They had no money to buy food. The only thing they could do, one, maybe one slight step above begging door to door, is to go gleaning. How many of you have been gleaning? Not a very common practice today. So we need to give a little background. Verse 2 and 3, Ruth said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose side I shall find favor. And she said, Go. Uh, and she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Well, gleaning is a backbreaking job in which you follow the harvesters and poor women... Uh, would follow after the harvesters, and they would be down like this. Oh, here's one they missed. Here's a a straw they missed with a head of grain on it. Here's one over here. Here's one over here. It's a backbreaking job. And it's for the poorest of the poor, hoping to gather enough by gleaning to live another day. Now, this gleaning for the poor comes right out of the law, Leviticus 19 and also uh, Deuteronomy 23, I believe it is. As God commanded Israel to care for the poor. This is found throughout Scripture. Responsibility to be concerned for the poor. New Testament as well. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. So this law gave Ruth and Naomi a chance to live. So Ruth goes to work. A poor widow trying to get enough for herself and her mother in law to keep them alive another day. Verse 3 and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. Just chance? Just happened? Well, that's the way the narrator tells the story, but it's clearly God's providence, not chance or accident, but God's providential hand of guidance at each step. And as the story unfolds, Boaz enters the picture, becomes the third main character in this drama as Ruth and Boaz meet in the barley field. And so we're going to get acquainted with Ruth and Boaz, Boaz, and then the character he is, the same with Ruth, how they begin to play off of one another, and then bring Naomi back at the end of the chapter. What do we know about Boaz? Well, the narrator's already told us what Ruth didn't know at the beginning of the chapter, that there's a family connection. He is of the family of Elimelech, her late father-in-law. She doesn't know that at the beginning. Um, That comes up again in verse 20, but it's mostly the story of chapter 3. So who is Boaz the man? What kind of a character is he? His reputation is is that he is described in verse 1 as a worthy man, or NIV says a man of standing, a man of stature in the community, well-respected. He was like a Job, well, before things went south for Job. His wealth is noted in verses 3 and 4 that he's a a landowner of some means who hires many workers to handle his harvest. This says this guy's a big-time farmer for the day. But more than that, Boaz, there's evidence that he's a man of godly character. In verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord be with you. Now, you could make a case that all that is is, Hi, how y'all doing? But I don't think so. That would be to use the Lord's name to no purpose, or to use the Lord's name in vain, a violation of the third commandment. I believe this is more than that, revealing that that Boaz was a gentleman who treated his workers with friendly respect. He was a man who recognized the blessing of God was critical to success in life, and that he was wishing genuine blessing from Yahweh on his workers and they responded in the same way. This name is not to be used lightly. So Boaz appears to be a man of God whose daily life is saturated with God. And, and to show that it's not just religious talk, anybody can do religious talk, but, but when we have to deal with the, what James says in the New Testament, uh, how does it work out in action? Well, let's see. Notice what comes next. He asks the question. He's observant. He's paying attention to what's going on. That's part of his good leadership. Verse 5, whose young woman is this? He's noticed this uh, uh, Ruth as a newcomer among the uh, gleaners. He obviously does not object to gleaners in his field, so he's honoring God's law by letting them glean in his field. But but more than legalistic obedience, he shows concern for them. He's, he sees that this is not somebody he's met before. He wants to know what her concerns are. And, and, and learning that she is Naomi's daughter, that piques his interest further because there has been talk around town about her. He's heard about her. He just had never met her. He her, recognizes her vulnerability. Well, there's so many things that we could use by short application in, in terms of how we respond to people around us that Boaz exemplifies here. He recognized her foreign condition. What does that say to us as we see people who come from somewhere else? His generosity is evident as verse 80 he welcomes her to stay and glean in his fields, urges her to stick with the other women for safety, and to stay in his field, not go to another. Because he's realistic, he knows that she is at risk for being attacked and abused. So he provides protection under his authority. He welcomes her to drink from the water supply that the men have brought to the field. Verses 14 to 16, at noon he invites her to share in the noon meal provided for the workers in the middle of the day, even letting her dip her dry bread into the wine or wine sauce or whatever kind of dip it was so that she could at least enjoy something of the meal rather than just get calories. He reiterated to the hired workers to let her glean among them and even leave some of their sheaves for her to make it easier for her to gather the grain. Just drop a bundle here and there to make it easy. These are some of the indicators that lead us to believe that Boaz is a good and godly man. Now, let's come back to Ruth. See what we can learn about her in this this text. Uh, Beyond her amazing declaration of loyalty to Naomi Naomi in chapter 1, we see that this is not just passing emotion, but solid commitment. Her initiative, verse 2, she volunteered to go glean in the barley fields. Why didn't Naomi go? Too old. Somebody suggested earlier, too depressed. uh, Unable to work. Too embarrassed. I mean, she was a person of high reputation, when she left. Now she's a nobody. We don't know why she didn't help, but Ruth didn't come with Naomi so that Naomi could care for her. She took the initiative to provide for her mother-in-law, and she's a hard worker. Come back to that in a moment, but Foreman, uh, Boaz's Foreman reports to him in verse 7, she's continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Her humility and her courage, just the act of gleaning is an act of Dependent humility, she knows she's a nobody in the eyes of others, a foreigner even below the servants, but she doesn't let that hold her back. But just her industry, come back to that hard work theme. Look at how it develops. Verse 7, she's continued from early morning until now. Verse 17, she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she'd gleaned. Now, Moab's a big-time farmer, he collects all the sheaves, the the, the the stems with the heads on them. You just collect those and get them to a safe place. And then later in chapter 3, there'll be the, the time of of, uh, of uh, threshing, uh, of beating the seed out of the head of, of, of grain. But she's hungry now. Her mother-in-law is hungry now. So she works all day, and then she takes what she got, and she beats the the, the grain, the seed out of the heads, that's a major job. And then she goes home, and she has about an ephah of barley. That's about, I think, four to six gallons, probably enough to last 10 days or so. So she's actually setting aside some for the future. Even more, her loyalty has preceded her as Boaz has picked up the talk around town. Verse 11, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know. Naomi has been catching up with old friends. Even though she's depressed, they, apparently they continue to reach out to her. And some of her day is, is connecting with others there in, in Bethlehem and tells the story of 10 to 15 years of hardship and pain. And, and yet the silver lining in this tragic story, the silver lining thus far for her humanly, is Ruth, this faithful daughter-in-law. And so her loyalty to her mother-in-law is remarkable, but even greater was her faith. Boaz says in verse 12, "'The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge.'" leaving behind the gods of Moab, embracing Yahweh the Lord, the God of Israel and the God of Naomi. Ruth now witnesses back to Naomi when Naomi's faith wavers, knowing that God is their refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 46one we've had at the head of our prayer sheet for the last several weeks, and I may keep it there a little longer. We need that verse. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. In time of trouble. So, one more section that we haven't read. The last part of the chapter is Ruth's report back to Naomi. Ruth brought home an amazing amount of grape for a day's work, but also she had her leftover lunch from that noon meal that was put out. So she brought that. That was a little tastier than just dry barley that still had to be processed. And Naomi asks innocently in verse 19, Well, tell me about your day. Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Naomi was not expecting the answer she was about to hear. She told her mother-in-law with whom she'd worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi, embittered by the hard life that God has given her, has a huge Aha moment. As she realizes that what happened that day in the barley field was not an accident, but the very hand of God. Naomi, it seems, had forgotten about Boaz. The mention of his name gave renewed hope and restored faith. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter in law, He has not stopped showing His kindness to the living and the dead. This man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsman redeemers. Now, Naomi's gotten a step ahead of us now. We don't know what a kinsman redeemer is. Well, you might if you've read the story, but but from this part of the story, we don't know what a kinsman redeemer is. She had said that already that there would be no one who could marry Ruth and carry on the family line gets a little humorous in chapter 1 and she says well uh, 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 there's no time for me to find another man and get married and have a baby and then the boy will grow up and in maybe 15 20 years you can have a husband and there's no hope for you you're a foreigner you're not going to find a husband But now she realizes with the mention of Boaz that there's someone who could possibly do this, marry Ruth, and continue the family line of her late husband, Elimelech. It's somewhat leverant marriage where a family, a brother initially is what it says. This seems a little more complex than that, where this, this person comes in and has children for the deceased. But while this seems like a breakthrough... There's another roadblock. Ruth finished out the harvest in the barley and then the wheat fields, during which time she was under the protection of Boaz. But then the harvest is over. She had all that contact for those few weeks. And then no more contact with Boaz. The chapter ends with no direction of any idea of how God will take it to the next level. And verse 23 ends with the incredibly exciting words, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, I understand that. I live with my mother-in-law, and she's here this morning, almost 96 years old. But the curtain closes once again. And so, you have to come back for Act 3 in Chapter 3 next week. But uh, several possible points of application we might develop uh, I'll mention three or four, caring for the poor. How do we live out the gleaning principle toward the poor of the land today? Some of you have heard that uh, the main story, and it's a very long story, in the Indianapolis Star today, front page, Debbie Alexander's on the front page picture, and it's, it's, a, it's a tragic story and yet a story that needs to be told about the poor that live across the street and how they're being abused. It's a very difficult situation, and so glad for our neighborhood ambassadors who are doing what they can to call attention to the problem and to help. So caring for the poor is a big deal. Leadership qualities from the way Boaz related to his team. I think he was a great study in leadership. Don't have a lot to work with here, but what we do have, I think, speaks loudly. Number three, the rewards of hard work and sacrifice exemplified by Ruth. I didn't illustrate that hard work for you before. I I don't think I told you about my um, trees that we have at our house. There's one on the northeast corner and three on the the southwest corner. They're birch trees, they're beautiful trees, but anytime there's a flutter of wind, the sticks just come pouring down. And I can't mow my lawn, hardly ever can I mow my lawn without spending 30 minutes like this, picking up sticks, picking up sticks, picking up sticks, picking up sticks. Five minutes of that, and I'm shot. Now, I am 70, and Ruth was a lot younger than that. But um, incredibly hard work that she was devoted to for a long period of time. That's a great example for us. Now, here's my favorite How about a pre-romance assessment in seeking a marriage partner? I suspect that 50 days in the public setting of the barley field where he saw her and they had some interaction and she saw him, they learn more about the character qualities and the fitness for being a marriage partner than some today with years of western-style dating And even living together, and they still don't know each other well enough. Well, practical lessons like this are illustrated all over Scripture, but that's not the main point of the passage. One of my frustrations is I feel like that so often we're so eager to get that application for how this is going to relate to Monday morning that we lose the bigger picture of how it relates to all of life. And that's what I want you to see today. So let's drill just a little deeper. Will you embrace with confidence the providential care and the sovereignty of God? Verse 3 uses the language of the storyteller. She happened to come, yen as it turned out. It sounds like luck of the draw. What are the, odds, but, uh, what are the odds? But this wasn't chance. This was not chance. It was God who brought her to the field of Boaz. It was God who had her join Naomi in coming from Moab and Bethlehem. It is God who oversees all, All of the painful circumstances and details of your life just as their lives. And even in her unhealthy bitterness at the end of chapter 1, Naomi was right about one thing. She was right about the sovereignty of God. She didn't just try to hide away and say, well, God, God was missing that day, so that's why things were so hard. No, God was all over it. God's never missing. It was God who brought her back empty. For his purposes and her good. And this is Romans 8.28 that works out in the Old Testament story as it does in our stories. And we know that in all things, going to Moab, losing your husband, losing your sons, coming back to Bethlehem, all the hardships, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Do I understand the whys of this event, that event, this loss, that loss? No, I don't. But I know it all fits in Romans 8.28 in the larger context. But beyond that, the primary issue of Act 2 in this little book is the extension of God's grace. Ruth reflects this understanding over and over in the chapter. Uh, She didn't go for to the barley field, demanding a handout. Look at the pattern. Verse 2, to Naomi she says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, God, in whose sight I shall find favor. She went in faith, in trust, in the mercy of God. The favor of God. Verse 10 to Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes? God is the instrument of that favor through Boaz. That you should notice me since I'm a foreigner. It would be normal to just look past this stranger. Ignore her. Maybe she'll go away. Leave us alone. Why have I found favor in your eyes? Verse 13 to Boaz, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. I'm 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 not I'm not part of this team. She comes with no money, no demands, no claims that she deserves anything. She's not entitled. She comes with empty hands to receive. The word is favor. Now, it's not exactly quite like, will you do me a favor, although that is a really simple example, I guess. The Hebrew idea indicates the, the, it's the idea of the stronger coming to the help of the weaker. One who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. One who stands in need of help. 61 times in the Old Testament, this word favor is equal to the New Testament word grace. By grace are you saved through faith. It's the undeserved unearned favor or grace of God. So it's an interesting contrast with her hard work, which is a great example for us, and yet to even be able to work, she had to have the favor of one who is stronger than her. So the gospel is illustrated here as we come to God with nothing but our own emptiness to receive His gift of forgiveness and eternal life, And providential care. Then, this will be developed and pictured more powerfully in chapters three and four, as Boaz is shown to be a type of Christ, and ultimately, Ruth and and Boaz become parents of parents of parents of leading down to Christ. And Ruth is found in the uh, line of Christ in Matthew one. Boaz recognizes in Ruth that her good works toward Naomi have followed a more important step in Ruth's life as she surrenders her life into the care of God's grace when the report comes that she has said, your God will be my God. And so Boaz describes this in verse 12. Here's the picture I want you to take home with you today. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Describes powerfully and poetically the faith that Ruth has embraced. God is likened to a bird. And an eagle is what comes to mind, although Jesus uses the chicken. (laughs) Same same principle. God is likened to an eagle. Ruth is the eaglet who recognizes that she must be under the eagle's protective wings. That's what God is to her. That's what God invites you to do, to come under his protective wings. That's the foundation of all the good things to come in Ruth's life and our ultimate need to be under his wings. And the unfolding story of Ruth leads to Christ, who just a few days before his death wept over the city, and it just so happened, no, in God's providence, I read Luke 19 this morning, as Jesus comes and weeps over Jerusalem. And Matthew's the one that reports the words of what he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I've longed to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you would not. Ruth would. She would humble herself to come under the wings of the Almighty to receive His grace, and her life was changed. What about you? In some ways, in many ways, God's invitation is much clearer today. We've seen the fulfillment of these illustrations and examples. They're fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who has already paid the penalty for your sin. He's died on the cross to take the punishment that you deserve. He's taken it for you. And he simply invites you by faith to come to him and receive forgiveness of sin and gain eternal life and come under the protective wings of a loving father to be under His wings as we await His coming in all of eternity. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we can appreciate the the great story of Ruth, and I just hope that you'll help us to to really, really bring it home in our own hearts, to recognize our own neediness, to recognize your grace that you've poured out so abundantly, to recognize that in our toughest, hardest moments, we can be under your wings and trust in your care. Lord, you know some of my friends here are going through hard things right now and and, and feeling more like Naomi in chapter 1. But, oh God, may you show yourself As not the one who's abandoned, but the one even in the hardest times is present and caring and covering with your wings. Bring that home to us, Lord. We need it. We need that comfort. We need that encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.